0: Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Let's all stand as we read God's Word. Please be reminded that uh, the Word of God is life changing. That's why we stand when we read it. You don't have to, it's not a law but out of respect for the authority of the Word of God, it's a tradition among Christians often to stand and uh, to take it in. And when you're listening to it, bear in mind, I'm going to read it to you. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. And we're going to read down through verse 14. But as that's happening, I want you to sense the fact that God speaks through his word. He literally, it, it, in the Bible, the Bible refers to itself as the written speech of God. So we pay attention to it carefully. Let's begin in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in In Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, that means in Christ. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. What an amazing privilege in a dark, deaf world to be able to hear eternal life, to hear your voice. And we indeed pray that we will hear your voice well this morning. You know our hearts better than we know ourselves. We pray that you will speak into us this morning the encouragement and strength of the gospel as we meditate on this incredibly powerful passage. Thank you, Father, for these things. Please open your word to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is the most amazing passage of all. And when uh, Pastor Dustin uh, asked me to preach it, I I was... greatly honored, um, and really excited to do it. It is a eulogy, meaning um, the Greek word meant to praise, uh, to praise God, to thank him, to bless him, blessed be the Lord God. Um, And it's a long sentence. Uh, In the original, verses 3 to 14 is all one sentence in Greek. And you never find that in English translations because it's too hard to put it all together. Um, and to give you an idea, this, it has over 200 words in the original sentence. It has 32 prepositional phrases, six relative clauses, and five adverbial principial clauses. Doesn't it bless you to have grammar involved in this? You say, why do you bother telling us this? The reason I say it is because Paul is so impressed with who the Lord is that the words just tumble out. You know, he, didi- uh, uh, he dictated his letters which is why sometimes there's broken sentences in them, if you have a literal translation. Sometimes there's these dashes and broken sentences. It's because he's dictating, and he's so impressed with who the Lord is. He's so glad to be a Christian. He he knew that God should have killed him, and he didn't kill him. And it's so transformed him, this lavish grace poured out on him that when he starts to talk about it here, it just bubbles out of him, and, and that's why it's a long, intense, original Sentence, and it's so packed with truth, with gospel truth. There's so much in here. Whole books have been written just on this one sentence, uh, it, it, this one little section here. In fact, when I taught this at uh, TCF, at Trail Fellowship, years ago, I did seven one hour sermons on this one sentence. So Dustin said, Would you like to preach this here? You have half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I said I would really like to do it, and thank you for asking me. And it's really worthwhile to. We're, we're going to do an overview, obviously, um, and we're, and when some of the things we will touch on uh, that you know already and are interested in, and other things we won't be able to touch on. Uh, I will tell you ahead of time. I'll stick around afterwards and answer questions, and if there if there. Um, I also will send you my notes. I Forgot to mention at the first service, but uh, I have notes for these. You can you can email me rick dot org, and I'll send you the notes from everything as I'm talking about here this morning. Um, I'm enthused about it because there's so much here, and I'm going to put it under the heading, the main heading, of why I'm glad to be a Christian. Because honestly. In Paul's mind, as he is saying the things we're gonna read, as he's dictating the things we're gonna read, the gratitude to the Father for the blessings of becoming a Christian are what's overflowing in him. It's written to Christians by one of the great Christians, Paul, about being a Christian. In fact, the whole book of Ephesians is like that. And it's it's just, it's like, oh, I am so glad I know the Lord. Now, um, sometimes uh, Christians will uh, say, well, I just want something more practical. You know, give me news I can use. Okay, we'll get to, we'll do, I'll give you some advice at the end of this message, okay? But before we do that, it's important to be able at times to just sit down and meditate on who the Lord is and what he's done. Especially in a world that's so noisy and so loud. To just, to just take it in and say, wow, I am glad to belong to the Lord. So what we're gonna do is work our way back through the passage a little bit at a time under three headings. Why are we rejoicing? Here are the three reasons. First, he loved you. And I'm gonna make it, I'm gonna make it personal. I'm gonna say you. Paul actually does that in the latter part of the eulogy here. He shifts over from us to you because he wants it to be personal, so I'm gonna make it that way. Uh, he loved you since before time began. That's the first uh, from verses three to eight. Secondly, he made you a part of an eternal plan, his eternal plan, verses 9 to 11. And finally, he has sealed you with his and in his personal life, sealed you in his personal life, verses 11 to 14. So we're going to unpack those things as we go. Let's begin in verse 3. And uh, that under the heading that he's loved you since before time began. Now, I'll tell you ahead of time, this is going to blow some of our minds. And in fact, uh, two things that are said here are matters of some considerable debate among Christians because we can't figure everything out about how God works. Um, But I'm going to tell you the right way, okay? (laughs) I'm going to solve all that. The, the main heading is that He loved you since before time began, and that actually is the main thing He's saying in the passage. And He he reinforces it with these other ideas. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. That means Holy Spirit anointed, fullness and blessing in the immaterial realm, in the invisible realm that you can't see, but that's very real all around us, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that means before time itself, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption Through Jesus Christ, through the second person of the Trinity, who is human and divine, he predestined that we should come into the Trinitarian life through the second person of the Trinity. And he calls it adoption. Adoption through Jesus Christ. Uh, How? According to the purpose of his will. This is what he decided. The Father and the Son together. So to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he blessed us in Christ, in the Beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood. That's the purchase power of the blood of God. Just think about that. I mean, that's, how much purchase power is there in the human blood of God? Redemption in his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, plenty of power to forgive sins or trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Just overwhelming sense of the grace of God, lavished, poured out, dumped on you. This lavish grace making known to us the mystery of his will. We'll stop there. Let's back up and look at this. He loved us, he loved you since before time began. You know, being loved is what we all crave, is it not? course it is. It's, it's why people uh, enter into loving relationships. It's why people get married. It's why even when a marriage tragically breaks up, people will try to be married again and again and again and again. It's because we were created for a Trinitarian kind of love that's God's own personal love. And he created us to be able to give at least some of that to each other, and we crave it. It's in our creation. We crave it. Can you imagine how wonderful it would be to come to a person or to know a person who was absolutely marvelous in your sight, you know, someone who's wonderful to you, and then to have them tell you, I loved you since before you even knew me. I mean, that's like a line from some love movie, you know, It's, it's like, oh, I look out at you, and then the women are going, oh, yeah, yeah. But actually, men and women both. And this is what the Lord is saying about you personally, personally, through Jesus Christ. And I'll mention three things under this heading. First, he decided ahead of time that you would be blessed. Notice that he uses the root term, "bless" in verse 3, three times. He decided ahead of time. I put it that way on purpose. He uses the term predestined, but that means for something to happen, the Greek word prohorizo, it means something to be decided ahead of time, prior to the time, before the time. So that's why I worded this. He loved you since before time began, before the foundations of the world, decided ahead of time that you would be blessed beyond your wildest imagination, Blessed is a broad term in the Bible, but but a very powerful one. It means everything you ever wanted in life. And none of the bad things that you don't want. To be blessed means to have it all. And he says, you have these multiple blessings. He decided ahead of time to do this. Uh, he uses this term, um uh, predestination, but let me let me just work on this a little bit because Christians get into these late night bull sessions about predestination, right? Have you ever had one of those? And they generate more heat than light. So, uh, and often are carried on by people who have no idea what they're talking about. Anyway, you know. Uh, let me back up and point out something about predestination before you talk about God making decisions. Talk about who God is. When? How long has God been thinking? Come on, class. How long have you been thinking? Is there a difference between the two? If God has been thinking for eternity, it is impossible that he would not already know reality completely, and that's where predestination comes in. He actually made decisions... Based on his knowledge, that's what Paul is saying here. And someone asked me after the early service, and I teach this, uh, by the way, I teach Romans at the college regularly. I've taught it many times. And so these questions come up all the time. The next thing people say is, well, if God is thinking before I am, does he then also have me make decisions? And the answer, of course, he does. You can see it right here in the latter part of this eulogy. He says, you believed. You heard the gospel, you believed. There is... What happens is the Bible says God has been thinking longer than we have. God has been making decisions since before we were, okay? But He also says we are also thinking and making decisions. And we go, well, which one is it? And the answer is yes. <laughs> it is actually both. The Bible teaches both of those things, which means there must be some compatibility between the two. So when we're thinking, so when people ask me this, um, and I'll get back to this again when we close the service. But um, I tell him, stop arguing about it and start hearing what he's trying to tell you. He's trying to tell you, I have loved you since bef- long before you loved me. I want you to grasp hold of that. You say, well, yes, but I made the decision. and y- Yes, and he made a decision. So let me ask you this. If we're talking about God and us, I already asked you, who was thinking? Who, you know, How long has God been thinking? How long have you been thinking? Does God make decisions? Glass? Yeah, do you make decisions? Yes. yes. Whose decisions do you think might precede the other person's decisions? I mean, it's a simple question. Okay. Whose decisions do you think might be more important than the other's decisions, based on the character of the person making the decisions? Is what I'm saying. Once you ask those questions and answer those questions, you go. What you should do is this. Oh. It's about God. He's not just a big one of us. And if he says both of these things are true, then I should assume both of these things are true, and I should live responsibly and trust him. And that's actually quite doable. We are like kids standing around a spaceship that landed in our backyard and arguing about the propulsion unit in the spaceship. Because we can't figure out. And so we say, well, I think it worked this way. I think it worked this way. Did it work? Yes, it's here. It got here. It worked. And so we argue back and forth about how it works. And the Lord really doesn't explain exactly how it works, but He does say, my thinking precedes your thinking. My decisions precede your decisions. And I want you to rest in that. It's an encouragement. That's why He puts us in here. And the decision that he made is to bless us beyond our wildest imaginations. When uh, Pastor Dustin gets into chapter 2 of Ephesians, you'll see there's this rich, powerful section in there about how the Lord intends to bless throughout all of eternity the people who belong to him. Oh, it's just, it's marvelous. He decided ahead of time that you would be blessed beyond your wildest imagination and that the blessing begins in the invisible realm. That's the heavenlies. It's used several times in the in the book of Ephesians, this term for heavenlies. It means the invisible realm, which is real, and in many ways more real than the material realm. And I only say that to get your head out of the material realm here. We're supposed to realize that there are angels, there are demons, there's a materi- an immaterial, invisible realm. In that realm, you are royalty. In that realm, because you belong to Christ, th- your identity in that realm is blessed beyond your wildest imagination because you belong to Christ. Now, this is the background of why Paul is so excited about what's going on here. He decided ahead of time that you should be blessed in the heavenly places and then eventually in the new creation. More on that in a second. Under the same heading of loving you before time began, he selected you. Take note of that. He chose us in Christ. He selected you for union with him, this mysterious union. And because of the union, a transformation that takes place. There's a meta- Can I use the word metaphysical? Okay. We need to take that word back from the New Agers. Beyond physics, the spirit realm, in the spirit realm, two, two uh, beings are capable of sharing the same essence. This is the Trinitarian God we're talking about here. What he's saying is that you have been unified with Jesus Christ and therefore immersed into the Trinitarian life. And because of that, you are being transformed. That's why the second half of Ephesians, in fact, the second half of all Paul's letters, it's live out this reality that's true of you. And so that's this blessing. Selected, the word chose, he chose us, is the word select, select from among others. Selected you for union and for transformation so that you will be holy and blameless. I know you pretend to be now. But if you're married, there's someone out there who knows you're not perfect. And I I say that in jest, but we all wish we were perfect, do we not? Do we not project as much perfection as we can possibly manage on any given day, even for just an hour on Sunday morning? You look pretty good for an hour. It's about all it can last. Why? Because we want to be holy and blameless. We want to look perfect, and we want to be glorious. Sure we do. That's why we spend an hour getting ourselves ready to come and look glorious and look like we didn't even try. (laughs) Right? Well, see, what happens is the Lord says, because of your union with me, I am transforming you and I'm changing your character into that which I've declared to be true of you. I've made you this new creature. I am who you say I am. That's why we're singing this one this morning. And and now you're growing in it. That's the union and the transformation. And that's why it's so wonderful to be a Christian because he loved us since before time began, decided ahead of time to bless you beyond your wildest imagination, selected you for transformation so that your association with the Lord Jesus and his life inside of you would change your character to be more like him. And you really will be eventually, physically, and spiritually glorious. Resurrection life. Wow. I mean, we could stop right there, but we're not. Third, under the same heading, he adopted you, forgiving and redeeming you. Now, each one of these are such powerful concepts. But let me just point out that when it says you were predestined for adoption and you were forgiven and you were redeemed, it's the blood of God in human flesh, Acts chapter 20, verse 28, purchased with the blood of God, redeeming purchasing out of sin out of guilt and out of the power of sin how powerful is the blood of God one drop of the blood of God how powerful is one drop of the blood of God that's what covers your life that's what redeems you and in redeeming you forgives you of every sin thought word and deed and all of our thoughts words and deeds will come in judgment the thoughts and the words and the deeds will all come into judgment. The Bible teaches it clearly. And now they can all be cleansed, completely forgiven through the redemption that is in the blood of Christ so that then he can adopt us and we can then call him father. So he draws us into the Trinitarian life. He then makes us as children of God through the son of God himself, through the second person of the Trinity, and then he says, now you can call me father after the resurrection on the day of the, the morning of the resurrection when Mary Magdalene was hanging on to Jesus. And he said, come on, don't cling to me. I'm ascending to my father and your father and my God and your God. It's said, very interesting. And he had told them on the night before, he says, you're going to be able to call God father. Now, see, God can't do that. He can't take you into his family if your sins aren't completely forgiven. And they can't be forgiven if there's no blood redemption. And that's why he puts it in here this way. That's why the cross is so important. And now you get to call God Father. And by the way, in our culture, because of liberal theology, for the last 200 years, there's been this doctrine of the universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches that only one group of people get to, God, get to call God Father. In other words, there's only one group of people who when they say Father, their voice is recognized in the heavenlies by the Father as a voice that's coming through the voice of His Son Christ because these are the people who belong to Christ. Am I going too fast for you? There's a ton of theology in this. So when you speak... Because you belong to Christ, and you're saying, Heavenly Father, and the Father recognizes you as one of his children, because you are in his Son, metaphysically joined into the Son through faith. But the world really doesn't have that right. It's not that God is deaf. It's not that he can't hear uh, human beings when they speak. But there's one of the great privileges of being a Christian is to be able to call call God Father and know that he hears you as he hears Jesus. And that's not true in the world. It is only true when you come to Christ. The other thing you'll notice here, because of this forgiveness, this forgiveness has to be complete and total. There's no such thing as partial forgiveness or provisional forgiveness. It has to be complete. In order to be adopted, you can't be partly saved. Now, here's our problem because we know that obedience can be and is, in fact, partial. And so what happens is Christians think because my obedience is not perfect, maybe my forgiveness is only partial. And there are whole doctrines in some wings of Christianity that actually hammer on that and make you pay your own debt after you die. But no, 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 this, this forgiveness is complete and total. That's how you can be adopted because the redeeming power of the blood forgives you of every thought, word, and deed, past, present, and future, so that now you are literally immersed in the Trinitarian reality, adopted by God through Jesus Christ. Is it good to be a Christian? Just think on this. I mean, just imagine what this means. So he loved you since before time began. This is the second service, so I can go twice as long, right? Is that right? (laughs) Dustin told me that. Second main point, verses 9 to 11, he made you part of an eternal plan. Let's read it here. Making known to us the mystery of his will, verse 9, according to his purpose. Now, he uses will, purpose, plan. He uses three different Greek terms here, all to bring out the idea that God knows what he's doing, and he's actively doing it, and that he has a plan. The, the point is he has a real plan. His purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. And this term, fullness, kairos, there's two ways to talk about time in Greek. One is chronos. It means linear time, chronograph. Linear time, the stuff that I don't have enough of when I preach, okay? But then there's, this word is uh, the fullness, a kairos kind of uh, time, and it means ripeness. Uh, It's timing that takes place as the processes that God has put in place happen. It's not calendar time. It's not, you don't measure it with a watch. You measure it by looking at how ripe the, we would use this term for ripening fruit, like an apple. Like, you don't, you don't look at your watch to see if the apple is ready to be picked. You look at the apple. Why? It's this, and by the way, this is the way God always works. Uh, we, we look at our calendars, and that's why setting dates for stuff is, is a huge mistake. Um, God always deals with this ripeness. Now, notice this fullness of time. This plan is coming about in the, as it ripens, as it's developing, and notice he's not just letting it develop, he's developing it. He's in charge to unite all things. Here's where the plan is going. To unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and on the earth. That means the invisible realm in which, by the way, there is still rebellion. Demons function in the invisible realm. But not indefinitely. They will be thrown into the pit. There will be. And the victory of Christ, even over the demons, has already been established at the cross. But there is still this darkness that functions in the invisible realm. Notice that when this whole thing is finished, when God's plan is complete in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth, both the material and immaterial realm. And so the adjoining of these two realms into one new created order, the last two chapters of the Revelation are all about this. And it's symbolic language, true, but it's symbolism of something real an open interface in all of God's creation with perfect holiness between the spirit realm and the material realm. So humans, not surprised to see angels. Angels, not surprised to see humans. The entire function of heaven and earth under one Lord in the new creation, that's the plan he's talking about. And furthermore, you have become a part of it. In him we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works a few things According to, no, wait a sec. Are you reading your Bible? All things according to the counsel of our will. No, all things according to the counsel of His will. That means He's super smart and He's moving this thing forward. And here's the thing I want you to see one of the reasons that it's so wonderful to be a Christian is because He's made you a part of this eternal plan. This plan includes everything on earth, all the details, it results in a new creation. And it draws you personally into it. As a pastor, I'm often asked through the years, what is God's will for my life? In fact, whole books are written on this, finding God's will. Guidance is a huge topic, and rightly so. We want, a genuine Christian wants to know these things. I'm not making fun of it. But one of the things I ask when people ask me that is, um, God does have a will for your life. There's no question in my mind. But have you thought about what his will is already for the world? because you 've been drawn into his plan he hasn 't been drawn into yours, and he does have a plan for you and its in dis- and it 's distinguishable from other plans and it is unique to you and so on and so forth but you've got to realize everything in your life is associated with this overall plan, this is why we do missions, this is why we minister to one another, this is why we pray, this is why we represent the Lord in our world because we 're even though we have our smaller stories that are being written. We've been drawn into a much broader story. And when you ask that question, sometimes the other story of God's will for my life starts to get clarified. Well, I have this one detail in my life. How should I deal with it? Well, what if you dealt with it as though you're gonna live forever, as though the Lord is watching and as though the Lord is doing something bigger than you? In the, How would that affect your decision-making? Oh, I hadn't thought about that. So being drawn in has super practical implications for us as Christians. And it's a marvelous reason why you should rejoice to be a Christian. You're part of a real plan. This is not, um, well, in the world, there's two ways to view this. One is determinism. And uh, there are whole books written on the fact that human free will is a myth. Written by philosophical naturalists, scientism, will say this. That you really don't have a free will because they don't believe in an independent mind. It's all materialism, it's all matter and motion. And so all your decisions are predetermined. That's not a theological thing, that's a philosophical thing within scientism that's taught in schools. I could read you quotes from authors who, recent ones who have said free will is a complete myth. So on the one hand you got people who say that kind of thing. And then on the other hand you, got, you have uh, the great philosopher Marty McFly who, in Back to the Future, which, by the way, is a, it really is an amazing, any book about the future and about changing it, raises all the questions. But at the end of that trilogy, remember what uh, what uh, Professor Brown said: the future is what you make it. So make it a good one. So, on one hand, it's determinism, and on the other hand, it's wide open, and it's all completely up to you. But the Bible teaches that God has determined where history is going, but that human decision making is part of it, so he teaches both in here, and it's really what makes the most sense of life, is to trust God at that level. So that human decisions and God's decisions blend together in some way in order to accomplish God's long-term purposes. There's a 25-cent word for this, it's called compatibilism. Compatibilism. and if you're interested, you can email me, I'll send you a paper on it. But this is, this is something that as a Christian, you really need to get it in your head. My decisions really matter, but I can still trust Romans 8:28, because the sovereignty of God and his decision about this plan works with the decision-making we make in the process. So we want to make good decisions as we go. You can live responsibly, confidently, Repenting of your sins, seeking to move forward in the Lord, and trusting that He knows what He's doing. Is that not a wonderful thing to, to grasp and get in your mind? I think it is. That's why it's wonderful to be a Christian. He loved you since before time began, and He made you part of an eternal plan. And by the way, that eternal plan you'll see here, and you see it elsewhere, um, is God saving the whole universe. He's not just saving you out of the world and trashing the world. He's saving the whole world. There's a new creation coming. So he's going to judge sin, and he's going to resurrect a new world, and what you have been drawn into now is that resurrection life of that new world before the new world actually happens in time. So that being regenerated as a Christian, we'll talk about that in just a second, to be regenerated as a Christian, that's the life of eternity. That's what's called eternal life. And, and that's the life in the last two chapters of the Revelation, and you have it now in linear time before it takes place. So when Jesus came back from the dead, this was the beginning of a resurrection for the entire world. He's saving the whole world, and he's inviting you to be a part of that new... Re- you're not being saved out of it so much as you're being saved along with the new work that he's doing, and the sin and the old world will be destroyed. But is it not wonderful to look forward to that? And to think of yourself, because he sees you in the future, remember that God dwells outside of time. He's not in, He works in linear time, but he sees everything all at once, which is how predestination has to function. That means he sees you in the future, Christian friend. He sees you in the future standing there as a resurrected person in a resurrected world, and he says to you now... So live into this reality. This is the real you. You can see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. New creations. We are new creations. And all the logic in Ephesians to move forward and live in the new man is all based on the fact that God has done this for you. You belong to him. And he has planned to do it since before time, made you a part of his eternal plan. And that salvation of the whole world is what you have been drawn into, which is why we're part of the work. It gives your life meaning. It's not, well, a little more application on that in a second. He made us uh, part of his eternal plan. Here's the third thing, verses 11 to 14. He sealed you into his personal life. Look at it again. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been, there's our word again, predestined. Remember, God outside of time, knowing all things. According to the purpose of him, he has a purpose, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He's moving this forward detail by detail so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. He saved you so that he could be glorified. We were singing about that earlier. He saved you so that you could could bring glory to him. The angels look on and they say, Look at those creepy people. And the Lord says, I hey, know, aren't they terrible? They're terrible. They killed me. And I'm going to put a drop of blood on them, and they're going to turn into these marvelous, forgiven, resurrected, glorious, beautiful persons. And the angels will look at us and they'll say, oh, Praise God. We want to be glorious so people praise us. God says, I will make you glorious, but I get the glory. Soli Deo Gloria is a Latin phrase that came out of the Reformation and is used over and over by theologians of our school, uh, the the Protestantism uh, specifically, in which it says, what it means is, to God alone be the glory. That's what we were singing so that you might be this hope to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believe. People say, do I make a decision? Yes, of course you do. And it feels like it's just your decision until you find out God was actually doing something ahead of time. Gospel of your salvation, you believed, and you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. This is the person of God sealing you with his personal life who is the guarantee, down payment, but it means, it means guarantee. It means that, that the, the down payment's been made, but there's no question because of who's making the down payment that the final payment will be made, right? The only reason they loan money from banks is if you can prove you don't need it, <laughs> right? That's what all the paperwork's about. That's because we don't pay our debts. But we're talking about God here. He makes the down payment. Do you think that the, other, that the finished work isn't going to happen? Do you think? Really? No? That's what he's after. This is a down payment of the spirit of our inheritance until we acquire possession of what? Well, we don't have possession of it? We do and we don't. We live with this regenerate life in an old model body waiting for our new bodies and for this new creation. So we live already not yet. We're in the kingdom, but it hasn't been fulfilled yet. So that's why he says we will acquire possession of it. The down payment is the presence of the Spirit of God in us right now. And again, he emphasizes to the praise of his glory, to the pra- because he gets the glory. That's just wonderful. He sealed you into his personal life. And look at the word hope. It's a secure hope based on spirit regeneration. I know it sounds theological, but I teach at a college, okay? So, it's a secure hope. And in the Bible, hope means anticipation. It means a confident expectation, a confident expectation of a future blessing. Uh, It's not this wishy-washy hope we use in English, where, well, I hope I get the, you know, make the, I hope that makes it, and it's kind of hopeless. In the Bible, the term hope means this is for sure going to happen. And I'm looking forward to it. So the difference, it could be illustrated, if you're talking to a bride on the, on the morning of her wedding and you say to her, are you looking forward to being married? And she said, well, I hope so. Are you going to get married this afternoon? Well, I hope so. You go, that's the wrong word to use. <laughs> because the anticipation is going to be fulfilled. I mean, everybody knows it. The Bible uses the word in the more powerful sense. That is my absolute confidence, anticipation is my, is my reality. And it's because of the Spirit's regeneration, He see, it's a personal seal. Him being in you is a personal seal so that um, you're under ownership, basically, from Him. And the down payment means that because His life is in you, You cannot not live forever. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about this. Theologians call this the perseverance of the saints. Some people call it eternal security. And some people are a little worried about this. I don't know why, because it's actually a wonderfully uh, encouraging thing to know that God will hold on to you. That was, again, one of the hymns we were singing. Um, But there's no question in here that this seal is considered to be a permanent thing by Paul. You say, well, what about people who, you know, run away from God? There's an answer for that. They were never there in the first place. If you're interested, talk to me afterwards. We can discuss this. But Paul is saying here that this is a seal of God's own personal life on you and in you. And so when people say, well, I often have people say, well, can I lose my salvation? And I look at them and I go, is that, is that what you're looking to do? I mean, do you want to do that? They always say, no, 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 I don't, I don't. you know, I want to walk with God. Is it possible he might lose me, is the idea. And, um, and there's many places that teach that he can't lose you. John chapter 10, 27 and following, you know, I lose none of mine. But one of the places I go to is a place like this. Because if he puts his spirit, I say, well, how did you get born again? Did you make yourself born again? Well, no, no, God made me born again. Well, then, how did he do that? Well, he put his life inside of me. Oh, okay, you didn't put his life inside you? He put his life inside you? Yeah. Did he want to do that, do you think? Well, yeah, yeah, he did it because he wanted to. He just, he did it because he loved me. He did it because he knew me before. He, he did. Okay, is God an abortionist? I mean, really, think it through. Paul wants believers to realize that this ceiling is is God's personal life on the real believer. You say, well, what about people who are fake believers? Well, there are fake believers. Jesus said there are fake believers. (laughs) He says it in the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 7 of Matthew, this is people who think they're Christians, and they're really not. Okay, but that's not who Paul's talking to here. He's talking to real ones here. And when Paul talks to the Corinthians, he says to the Corinthians, you should check yourself to make sure you're in the faith. Which is why being part of a body, being part of a church, taking communion, uh, sharing with one another, being reaffirmed and saying, yes, I am a believer, that's a really good thing to do. But if you're a genuine believer, my friend, you're safe. You're safe in the plan, you're safe in the love, and you're safe under this seal. Is that not wonderful? So let me give you some advice. Have I got time? Can I keep talking? Okay. Just brief, a little bit of advice for news you can use, okay? Um, I had a professor, I was a psych major for a long time in college um, before I switched over to theology, but um, he told me, he told a bunch of us who were going to be counselors, he told a bunch of us, just never give advice. (laughs) So I decided not to take his advice. Pastors have to give advice sometimes. So take it or leave it. If it fits, fine, fine. But this is pastoral advice based on this passage, four things. Number one, do not argue about predestination. Rest in it. Do not argue about predestination. You're not going to completely be able to figure it out. You have to leave some mystery in there. Realize that God says you do make choices and they do matter. I also make choices and they matter more than yours. And rest in that. Rest in it, because otherwise, Romans 8:28. don't claim Romans 8:28 if you don't believe this, what I just told you. Because if all things do work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose, if he's that smart, if he's that meticulously provident over your life, well, then you can trust him with this predestination thing. And I, I encourage you to rest in it. Just say, thank you, Lord, instead of arguing philo- philosophical issues about it so much. Secondly, don't panic about the condition of the world. Is that timely? Instead, bear witness of Christ in the world because there's only one kingdom that's going to last. There's only one plan that's going to come out good, and that's God's, and you've been drawn into that. Don't panic about the condition of the world. I'm not saying not to be involved. The scripture teaches us to be involved, especially in our local world, our local culture, redemptively, to the best of our ability. I'm not telling you not to vote. I'm not telling you not to be aware. But don't panic about the condition of the world. There was a lot of panic among Christians in the last four years. Much more over the last four years. Panic, anger, fear, frustration. Let me suggest, don't panic about the world. God knows what he's doing with the world. He's the one changing the world, not us. Jesus never said, go out and change the world. He said, go out and represent me in the world. Third, don't wonder about God's love for you. Rejoice in it. Now, why do I say that? It's because a lot of Christians, when they see the failures in their lives, once again, in the hymns that we've been singing this morning, really reflect this. Um, When they see the sin in their lives, they wonder whether or not God still loves them. And uh, especially if you've been a Christian a long time, you sort of lost track of that first sense of being forgiven of everything. Do not wonder about God's love for you. Instead, simply rest in it and rejoice in it. In 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10, especially verse 10, it said, it's not so much that you love God, it's that he loved us and gave his son for us. His love for you is stronger than your love for him. It always has been. Did you see that in the passage? His love and commitment to you is stronger than your love and commitment to him. It has always been that way. And so a genuine believer who fails needs to hear that this is, that God still loves them and that, that he will restore them and that he will, and that's what is being said here. Um, I have a little granddaughter. Her name is Claire. She's five years old now. When she was three and she was so tiny that like I could pick her up with my baby finger. She was just just this tiny little person and uh, we were standing outside her house one day, and her dad fired up a lawnmower, one of the tractor lawnmower thing. And, and Claire was just all happy, and she's looking around. And all of a sudden, that thing fired up. And she turned around to me and literally just leaped in, into my arms, just, just leaped threw her tiny little arms around my neck. And I'm holding on to her, and she, she, she buries her face in my shoulder, and then, and then she looks away and looks at her dad like it was demon-possessed. Now, here's the question. Was her grip on me what made her safe? No. It was my grip on her that made her safe because I gathered her into my arms. I held her tight. And even though she was hanging on to me as tight as her little self could do, it was my strength supporting her. It didn't mean that she was trying to wriggle out of my arms. It didn't mean that she wasn't holding on. It's just that where's the security? So Christian friend... That's where the security is. It's in him. The security is in him, not in us. So, just rejoice in it. Don't wonder about whether God loves you if you've come to Christ. Fourth, don't fret over your future. Instead, lean into it. In other words, embrace what God is doing. Matthew 6 is where Jesus said, don't be anxious about the future. God knows what he has planned for you. And uh, so... That doesn't mean we don't plan. It doesn't mean there's never an anxious moment, but you always have to come back to the idea that God has a plan. He's drawn me into it, and I have to trust him for it because your life is not just here and now. It's there and then, remember? So as a Christian, in order to live here and now, you've got to keep your mind on there and then, looking forward to dying, frankly, and going into the next life so that you're, so that the perspective remains healthy. Don't fret about your future. Lean into it. God has a plan for you. Just stay close to him. Navigate the best you can. Trust that he knows what he's doing and that you're part of his plan. And sooner or later, your spirit is going to slip out of this old broken body and you're going to be right in his presence. That's wonderful. Wonder. It's wonderful to be a Christian. One more thing. If you're not a Christian, do not think that this is a myth. This is a reality what I'm talking about here. This is what has generated and regenerated Christians for 2,000 years. This is gospel, and if you haven't come to Christ, what's, why not? I mean, what is to not like about being forgiven, promised eternal life, given, being brought into an eternal plan that results in a brand new creation where you get to be a part of that new creation? What's not to like about that? You rather think of yourself as a grown-up germ and that everything's an accident? You should come to Christ if you're listening to this and you haven't. You should open your heart up right now and just say, Lord, would you forgive me and do this with me? I will come to Christ today. Pastor Dustin, Pastor Scott, any of the mature believers in this congregation will be able to pray with you and help you with that. You should come to Christ. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the goodness of your gospel. And I pray for this congregation. I pray for Jacksonville Presbyterian Church. For all the souls sitting here listening or listening online, and all those who are impacted by the people in this body, for the light that this church is in this community. I pray, Father, we pray that the truths we have meditated on here would permeate our lives, bringing wisdom, courage, peace, a a desire to speak of you and to live for you in this world. Let these things soak in to our souls, Heavenly Father, because... We want more than anything to praise and glorify you. We want you to be praised and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.